tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Mother's Instinct, Temple President Murder, Swoops and Swats, and Grady's Bible. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Uh, Crystal, uh, I'm pretty sure we talked about food before Thanksgiving. We Um, did. Yeah, I gave some cooking tips. It was probably a little too late since our last episode aired the day before Thanksgiving. Um, So, yeah, I hope whoever needed some driveway time away from their families, um, we offered some respite from you, for you, from you, for you. Um, But now we're going into uh, sort of the winter holidays. Um. We, I have already mentally started to prepare for those because anyone in sort of in Christendom knows that Christmas is a part time job between uh, November and December. <laughs> and I am uh, <laughs> um, not a huge decorator, that is not my jam. I'm also not super into receiving or really giving presents, to be quite honest. Oh, I see. Uh, um, but one thing I started doing last year, I kind of picked back up as I, I sent out some Christmas cookies. Mm. And so I cookies, made some yeah. different, yeah, some different, you know, uh, brownie adjacent things and I made some, some cookies. So I, what I thought might be fun, um, is if we maybe hashed out uh, what kind of cookies I should make <laughs> this year for Christmas. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, Robbie, what like you're thinking Christmas cookies? You're thinking the holidays. What are you looking for in a cookie? What are your oh, faves? Um, I um, I like the ones with sugar. And I just shovel them right into my mouth. Uh, that is uh, wildly unspecific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, well, you know, my my aunt, I had an aunt who, uh, when I was younger, she would send like a, a metal box full of like all sorts of cookies she made. And she made some really mm-hmm. damn good cookies. Um, just, um, you know, I mean, they were conventional cookies, but just shaped and they had frosting and, and whatnot. Uh, I, I'd say like it's for me, it's it's not so much the I mean, it's just uh, I, I just I'm just anticipating festive Christmas cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, what what kind of what are my options here? Help me out. Help me out. Well, um, you know, one of my uh, one of my standbys, one of my standards that I really enjoy is the uh, chewy molasses cookie. Okay. You know, it's got it's it's like a soft gingerbread. It's like a soft chewy gingerbread. Okay. And uh you got it's it's often very spicy, not like not like chili spicy, but it's got a lot of like hot ginger yeah. and right. cinnamon oh, yeah. okay. and clove and yeah, that's one of my faves. So I think that that's a that's a standby. That's definitely going in the Christmas cookie collection this year. But you know, there's the whole there's all the bar cookies. There's the brownies. There's the uh, uh, shortbread based cookies. There's the sugar cookies. There's the thumbprint cookies, which are kind of retro. You don't see those too much anymore. There's the whole gamut of sort of like German style. 
Oh. Christmas cookies too, um, yeah. very often involving kind of like dried fruits or jams, which I'm also a big fan of, um, and also like marzipan or almond based almond flour based cookies, which I'm even a bigger fan of. So I mean, that's that's the world of cookies. I mean, it's overwhelming. I don't know when I'm going to bake this year. It's too many options. The, you know, I would I would suggest like uh, doing some shortbread. Uh, throw in some of uh, some of those sugar cookies, and and definitely the you know your your the molasses, gingery type thing. But I mean personally, if it was a box I'd receiving, I'd be receiving, I would mm-hmm. not want those to constitute more than about thirty percent of the box, because then it's just like it's too hot for me. <laughs> yeah, beyond that point, I got gotcha. you. I got you. How much, how, what proportion of chocolate gets involved here though? Okay. So we're we're talking, how much chocolate is too much chocolate? Uh, you, so you, 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 you do what brownies or or the, yeah. uh, Or like a, or like, um, there's a chocolate crinkle cookie that I, I made a year before last that, um, that's Dave's favorite. Um, I've made it two ways now. I've made it as sort of like a peppermint mocha flavor and sort of mm. like a chewy. It's got a really chewy middle and then it's got like a crinkly, crunchy outside. And then there's just, you know, regular like fudgy chocolate. For shipments that are going out to other people, uh, I, I would say no more than 20% of the box should be chocolate. But obviously if they're Dave's favorite, uh, you should make a special box full of them for Dave with a picture of you inside on top of the cookies. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I might do that. Yeah. I don't know if he needs that picture of me. <laughs> I think he might well, just I, want those cookies. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess it, it would make more sense if you guys weren't living together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we do live, we are married and we do live together. Yeah. He's not like deployed overseas. <laughs> just in the house. Well, well, th- but now you have a sort of thing to put in your pocket if, you know, for some reason you guys are separated by distance for a period of time because of work sort of things or something, you know. Um, yeah. For socially distance in our house right now. <laughs> I. So, I, I, anyway there's that yeah okay <laughs> anyway moving on um uh, yeah um i mean again you're you're asking like i'm sure i've mentioned this on the pod before when i tried to uh-huh. make some cookies and i sent uh-huh. some to my father and then yeah. I, after he passed away and i was going through his closet and i found uh-huh. I found the box, uh, the box, uh, the t- tin box that I'd sent them to him in with like one cookie with like one bite taken out of it. Wow. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I, that, uh, I mean, I wasn't disappointed or anything. I was like, yeah, that's, um, not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so th- there you go. You, uh, shortbread and, sugar and then like a third of the the box uh or, or like 30 percent should be the your molasses and then yeah throw in you know like 20 percent of the box should be chocolate stuff uh so i guess you figure mm-hmm. out the ratios for the first two 
And that's what I'm saying. You know, that, that that's 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 what you should be selling on the sh- uh, store shelves. So that's what I like. That that's a good. Those are good ratios. I'll I'll use that as a guide when I get into that yeah. this year. I will say this though: moving from the American Thanksgiving season into the Christmas season is that I, by far, prefer the flavors of winter time than mm. the flavors of fall. Um, give like. Look, if we're gonna if we're gonna measure this on the Starbucks chart, the Starbucks drink charts, okay, give me a pepper a white peppermint mocha over your pumpkin spice latte any time of the year. I see. I'll take that. I'll take that. I don't I like my peppermint. I like a little chocolate. I like I like when things get real things get real citrusy during the winter time too. I like that mm-hmm. scene. Oh. I don't really I feel I mean I should probably say this quietly, but you know, the whole pumpkin pie, the whole pumpkin spice situation, the fall flavors, very, this, it feels a bit stodgy to me. I see. You know? Yeah. Not, not a huge well, fan. I like, I like the hot peppermint. I like the hot ginger, like a little chocolate yeah. situation. You know, I have nothing against pie. Pie is wonderful. I, yeah, I love pie all year, but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad we we've now moved. I really feel like I mean I, I did cook Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> last week. Um but I really feel like we've we've moved into my wheelhouse, which is the winter season. Um it's also pomegranate time. Excited about that. They, they, they are, I mean, but I mean, I mean, but I mean, <laughs> uh, the derivatives of pomegranates are, are very enjoyable to me. So grenadine, pomegranate molasses, pomegranate juice, those are all really fun things to cook and to make cocktails with. So I like all that situation. I read an article concerning pomegranate juice and allegedly how good it's for you or something. Oh, is it good for you? I don't know. I've got some in the fridge right now. Should I go? As I recall online, I I looked up that took all of like that I I spent all fifteen seconds glancing at and oh okay so you're a certified <laughs> uh, professional then um yes Robbie you know uh, going into this episode of Unsolved Mysteries it made me think that it was tied in with a holiday not the Christmas holiday but uh, it was Mother's Day in, I, yeah it felt like a Mother's Day episode should we get into it I thought Stack was going to say that yeah. It didn't happen. Anyways, this is uh, what season six, episode 18 of Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. Uh, so you and I were kind of batting about who would jump in front of the truck of this segment. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and uh, God. here's the thing. It is ostensibly... Um, I don't know what kind of segment it was. Was it like unexplained? Unexplained. Uh, and it was three uh, stories about mothers and their connection with their children. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll give the flyover very briefly. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong here. The first case was a person a woman was in the kitchen and she just Mm -hmm. she was like washing the dishes 
And then she felt this overwhelming sense of dread and she ran into the living room. And I guess from the Unsolved Mysteries reenactment, her entire family was also in the living room and couldn't have done anything about this. But her right. new yeah. baby was crawling on the floor and was choking. And then she like patted the baby on the back and the baby stopped choking. Yeah. yeah I that, guess that, that, everyone that's else in the family g- was oblivious to this. Well, uh, her, her older daughter was doing her homework and mm-hmm. her uh, her husband was reading the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, uh, I think I feel like I'm going to be how to put this delicately. OK. Mm-hmm. OK. I'm fairly I'm fairly certain this is a situation where the baby stopped making noises and the mother got, you know. Uh-huh. perceived that from the kitchen and ran into the the living room and mm-hmm. stopped her baby from choking. Mm-hmm. And I think retroactively, mm-hmm. I mean, just to, it would make it easier for the marriage to stay together if mm-hmm. they just, the whole family believed the polite fiction that the mother tell, telepathically or psychically mm-hmm. sensed the baby was choking Mm-hmm. In a way that no 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 other member of the family, particularly the hus- husband, could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then there was a woman. She was driving. They were on vacation or something. And uh, she had a bad feeling. And, like, her son had broken his arm. Was that right? It's complicated because there's, like... Uh, there There is a woman who's driving. Uh-huh. But she... Um, well, uh, there, there, there's Elaine and Sharon who are having lunch in a restaurant, and okay. Elaine started getting the, 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 um, the sense mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll call it mm-hmm. uh, in the restaurant, and you know she was she was experiencing it too on the car drive back. Um, that something had happened to her her son, and yeah, it, it was yeah whatever sort of injury, blah blah blah. Um, I but the really. The really important thing here is mm-hmm. I've I very much like if you watch this segment, particularly the reenactments, um, and sort of because her friend Sharon, who she's out having lunch with, if you approach this segment from Sharon's perspective, and then Sharon is perceiving that Elaine doesn't want to pay for lunch mm-hmm. and is trying to get uh-huh. out of it. Uh-huh. Which I kind of felt was like the subtext here. Like Elaine had previously agreed, like next lunch is on me, mm-hmm. and like now she's freaking out. It's like something's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, something ha- something's happened. Like my, my my son, and there, there, there's something going on. And and mm-hmm. like I really feel if you just look at the the woman playing Sharon in the reenactments, mm-hmm. she's just like. She has this face like, look, if you don't want to pay for lunch, that's fine. Just don't insult my intelligence, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that might have been like um, a pre-cell phone. Oh, I just got a text. I something's wrong with my son. I gotta go, and there's like no text. Right, um, right. But in this case, there would have there would have been though because the kid did break his arm and was in the hospital with a broken arm, yeah. but. Um, and then finally, there was now this last bit annoyed me more than the rest of the segment because 
it was a woman <laughs> talking about her dream. It was a mother, an adoptive mother. Okay. Yeah. And um, she had a very graphic dream that she describes in detail on a very specific date about a young woman giving birth. And like, I guess in her dream, she saw the baby crowning or something, which is disgusting. You yeah. and uh, and then like the this couple um, had been trying to adopt for a while. And then like two weeks after this woman had this dream, they get a call from the agency that they have a baby for them. And the husband of the, of the woman is like, yeah, I think she just, dreamt about our kid being born and um and then unsolved mysteries is kind of making an argument that like you know a mother's intuition um supersedes biology yeah and i <laughs> i guess agree with that but also like if you're you've been wanting to adopt for a while um, you know, it kind of feels more like not that she like telepathically intuited that her child was being born, more that she was just like concentrating so hard. On, she had a dream about it. She had a dream about it. Coincidentally, yeah. it happens that that same day was when when their future child was born. So here's so that's basically it and it's a really long segment and we, we decided we didn't want to get into all the ins and outs of it though i think that observation about the two women having lunch is very interesting it's um <laughs> and then it ends with robert stack being like you know if you just get that feeling that like your baby's choking maybe go check on your baby and i agree with that like yeah, yeah go check yeah, on your baby for sure do that but um Here's the here's what I didn't other than the obvious bullshit of all of this. The yeah. thing that I the implication here that I did not love was that this you know intuitive power is only possessed by women and um I don't love that. Oh. And uh I'm going to I'm going to come out pretty hard for like men's rights. Uh, right now. Oh wow, okay. But, uh, you know, I, th I th look, I do think parental intuition is a thing. And I think you do have a connection, whether biological or not, with a child that you care for. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just it is you are a mammal with animal instincts regarding your offspring. I yeah. believe all of that is true. I don't really think it's like telepathic. And I also don't think it's, I mean, okay, so it's like, okay, women only have this intuition, okay, unsolved mysteries, but men don't. But what's it say about a woman if she doesn't have that intuition? And then like, why are, why aren't men able to have it? But they're just, they're equally as responsible for their children as women are. And it just gets messy and I don't like it, you know? Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I don't like this. Like women have these fair. magical powers when it comes to their children. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Oh, I think okay. We're, I think we're all, we're all mammals and we have uh, instincts and intuition to protect our offspring to some extent, but not everybody has those, you know, male or female. And some men definitely do have those feelings about their um, children. Are you, 
suggesting? You seem a bit incredulous. Are you suggesting that that, that it's all bullshit? Well, I'm uh, as as always. I'm always open to the possibilities, right? I mean, well, I guess that depends because what you're describing is not like magic psychic powers or anything. What you're suggesting is someone who. Uh, who who is raising a child who you know loves the child because it's their child? Um, their mind is a lot more focused on that child than it would be on other things. Mm-hmm. Their brain like subconsciously picks up on things, uh, makes inferences, makes conclusions, and like it seems like intuition like or you know some some sort of sudden thing that like you've suddenly received uh you know it's not like a magic psychic message it's your brain you know you weren't consciously thinking it like the mm-hmm. the uh, Car- carolyn the the gal in the kitchen mm-hmm. um I, well i i know i i knew i know i was joking earlier that like uh she just heard the baby stop making sounds and came and checked mm-hmm. but that sounds really uh, yes, likely but, though yeah, 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 yeah. That's true, but, um, but as using it as maybe a a, a hypothetical, uh, just to be like, you know, like even if you weren't, fo- even if she wasn't focused on the sounds listening or or whatnot, mm-hmm. there would be something in her brain that would be like it would register something, and she like, you know it just sends something to, to her like where she, just, she has this notion and she has to go check on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the deal was with Elaine and her, her son. Uh, what was his name? Matt. Uh, how did he, how did he even get injured? Uh, I don't think they really went into the details. I don't know. That, he was like jet but... skiing or something. I don't know. Well then, yeah, there you go. Like <laughs> your, your Elaine's brain was like, well, Matt really actually has never been on a jet ski before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, you know, you have like the brain has, you know, her Elaine's brain had a pretty good sense for, uh, or, you know, a pretty good, uh, good picture of like how, how adventurous or risk-taking Matt is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, she's sitting down at lunch and the brain's just like, Matt it has no experience on jet skis, and you remember what happened last year when he was riding around on that dirt bike. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and the, the, the starts sending the thing to her mind, brain, uh, to her conscious brain, like you got to check on this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just kind of what kind of what I think. I, I is 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 or. Are, are you are you thinking that there might be something deeper? No, I feel like, like that's a, I think that's what it is. So what you're saying is subconscious. I'm saying is intuition. And I think it's the same thing. Yeah, it's a gut yeah. feeling that something is wrong. Um, I, I think I think unsolved mysteries probably could have come up with better examples than the ones that <laughs> they had. Yeah, it, it seems like they they probably had a wealth of uh, choices and it is kind right. of. Yeah. I'm a bit dubious that these were the high cards. Uh, so. Yeah. And this was like a good chunk of the episode. Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're talking, I mean, of a 42 minute program. This was uh, this was about a uh, 16 minutes worth. So, 
Yeah. Um, uh, and- when, when, actually, one thing I kind of noticed is it feels mm-hmm. like the segments got shorter and shorter as this episode went on. Yeah, they were basically speed running. Yeah, like like you know, by by towards the towards the end they're like, "Oh wow, we really uh <laughs> we devoted an insane amount of time to that uh that mother intuition thing." So we're going to have to really uh compress it down. Um Chris, so you want to talk about another segment? One that's a little more con- <laughs> a little more I'm concrete. Here on myself. Um yeah, I want to I want to talk about yeah. a hometown segment. Let's do it. Do you like pilots? Do you hate pilots? Are you indifferent to pilots? Have you ever met a pilot? Have you ever flown your own plane? They get uploaded. They're uploaded to YouTube. They're all on YouTube. They're right there, just for you. They're for free. Nobody's watching them. Why would you watch them? But guess what? There's two people that love to watch them. It's Stuart and Joe. We watch them, so you don't have to. We're putting in the work. We've got cow people. We've got reincarnated dogs. We've got wizard superheroes. We've got extremely short private investigators. Hobo probate law. We've got a dog with the brain of a man. And a man with the brain of a dog. We tell you not only what happens, why it happened, who it happened to, what happened after. And why it stinks. So come watch Piloting Error. Well, don't watch it. Come stand behind me in my basement while we make the show. Could you bring me another beer? What's the network? Only on the Bridge Burner Collective. Wherever find podcasts. Wherever you're getting your podcasts. This segment is... uh... It's a um, unexplained death. Uh, okay. Or wanted. It's a wanted segment. Wanted. Definitely a wanted yeah. segment. <laughs> there we go. I got it. Because <laughs> uh, the death is pretty explained. It's so it becomes a wanted segment. But uh, it it is a uh, it's an it's an LA based one. It's very specifically a North Hollywood based one, which is where I uh, live very close by, and North Hollywood is where I work. Oh. And I got very excited okay. trying to like pick out locations. So I noticed there was an intersection. Um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it right now. An intersection where the the uh, at least the set for the reenactment of the accounting firm was okay. located. And uh, I'm going to yeah. Google map it right now because I didn't actually uh, I didn't actually recognize it, but it was Magnolia and Lummer Street. Let's mm. see if I can geolocate where that is. Uh, yeah, here it is. Oh, it's actually oh they where they filmed it was actually in Burbank, so I guess close enough. But okay, uh, let's let's see if I do the street view. Oh, there's the building that was used in the reenactment. Yep, there it is. Still there. All these years later. Uh, this is a very nondescript uh, area of Burbank. Not that Burbank is very standout in any way, shape, or form. But, okay. Um, so the dedu- points are being deducted right now because they did not actually film the parts of the reenactment in North Hollywood. They filmed it in Burbank. But maybe the um, accounting firm was in uh, Burbank and literally none of this matters to anything that I'm about to talk about. So, um, <laughs> listen, uh, this woman, Anita Green, in 1974, got a job 
at this uh, accounting firm and the accounting firm was run by Melvin Green. Um, so spoiler alert, they get married. <laughs> they were not both originally <laughs> named Green. Um, so I guess after a period of time, they they were both already married and then they left their spouses to marry each other. And then as Robert Stack lets us know, this was incredibly shocking for Anita's friends and family because uh, I guess Melvin Green w- weighed over 500 pounds, which yes. um, I feel like is- maybe is kind of an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the person they have playing him in the reenactment, like if I was that dude, I'd be like, I don't look like I weigh 500 no, the dude, pounds. No, no, the, no, 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 no. Like 500 pounds is like, you're not getting around very well. Yeah. No. Uh, so I feel like the 500 pound thing was like really an exaggeration. <laughs> I think they added like a good 200 pounds <laughs> to, <laughs> because we see, yeah. we see pictures of Melvin Green as well. And he's a big dude, but you know, he's like, He's just a big dude, but he's not yeah. like um, 500 pounds. I just really feel like that was um, kind of setting the tone for the rest of this segment. But anyway, <laughs> um, there is because uh, Robert Stack was like, this fat fucking asshole took her away from her. And it's like, whoa, you know, like, holy shit. Um, so I guess very shortly after getting married, um, things w- were bad quickly. And so Anita still works at the accounting firm and, um, we get a lot of this story secondhand from this true crime writer or something. I don't know. She, uh, her friend who wrote a book about the situation. Oh, that was her friend. Yeah. Oh, I thought this was just some journalist true crime writer. That would be a lot less weird. Oh, this is very fucked. I didn't register that this was her friend. I thought this was somebody who had just, like, interviewed all the parties involved and, like, wrote a book about it. I thought at some point they, like, alluded that, like, she knew them uh, Mm. and stuff. I believe it. I mean, she had a lot of details, but I thought it was just because she was, like chatting people up to interview to write the book um okay yeah. well, <laughs> well. If, if she isn't i apologize both for making the accusation mm-hmm. and for like hating her kind of a little bit through the segment because i was like why are you writing a book about your friend's death yeah I mean, that's pretty tacky yeah yeah this is very fucked uh okay so her name's michelle the woman who wrote the book uh, author michelle samet <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, what Michelle has to say, Michelle's basically the narrator of this, right? And Michelle's telling us about this, the, that, and the other thing. And Michelle says, you know, Anita had a lot of classic signs of an abused woman, which is like making a lot of excuses for her husband's poor behavior. And, um, I guess complicating. Oh, he's just boisterous. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, he'll never hurt me, etc. Um, yeah. I guess complicating matters further is that Anita and Melvin had signed a really extensive and weird prenuptial agreement um, (laughs) that basically, again, I'm a little dubious. (laughs) I feel like this is all hearsay from Michelle, but it basically says that, you know, Anita basically couldn't ever win an argument 
according to the prenuptial agreement. I don't know how you enforce that <laughs> interpersonally. I'm always right. I don't. Yeah, yeah I'm always I, right. Is Melvin like threatening to like divorce if she doesn't concede? You know, what is this? What are we doing here? <laughs> uh, I, I and then uh, I, I like how this is this is entangled with the um, the depiction of the uh, the I guess the divorce discussions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, when like he's like adamant, like okay, she can get divorced, but she has to keep working for me. Right. She has to keep working for me. Right. Um, and like, the reason that Anita wanted to get divorced other than being in a miserable marriage is because she became romantically involved with the rabbi at their yes. temple. Uh, yeah. Um, which is, this is an interesting twist because you don't hear a, lo- a lot of that going on in Catholic churches. You know what I mean? Right. Well, yeah. Uh, that's, um, I, I've seen the movie Keeping the Faith with Ben, uh, Ben Stiller and Edward Norton. So, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, there, there, there is, there is like, if you're a rabbi or, I don't know, I guess a Protestant preacher or an Orthodox priest, you, you have more options. That's for sure. Yeah. It's um, also like, what's going on there? You know, I guess the, I guess the, um, sort of puritanical notions we all have about not only the clergy, but the leader of a congregation maybe just don't apply here. Like, does he get to keep being the rabbi, even if he has an affair with a married woman? I don't, what happens here? I don't know. I guess maybe it depends. Was, was he married? I don't know why, but I I feel like that. Does it matter? I, I, I feel like there's like a little bit of like, you know, you have a woman who could be just insanely miserable, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this guy, like she's in a marriage where every time like her and the husband are like disagreeing about what's for dinner, he's pulling out the prenup right. and like jabbing he's, his finger into the yeah, pages. He's calling the like, lawyers. Look. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you know, so the rabbi, like you know, she she comes to him and she's like, "Look, I got this situation. I'm just really miserable." And he's, you know, yeah. he's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, you know, that's, um, you know, uh, if uh, if you're not happy, you know, maybe you should think about getting divorced. I mean, there's other people out there, and mm-hmm. and I think maybe like when he said that, she kind of like looked at him and was thinking like, "Yeah, there are other." people and then she realizes he's not married and i mean now if the rabbi was also like cheating on his wife that Mm -hmm. that would that would just strike me as much more wrong i I hope that made sense yeah i guess so i mean i would really like someone who knows better than i do to maybe like weigh (laughs) in on this you know like is it um is it really bad if a rabbi a theological no, I just I want like the cultural explanation. Like, how is this viewed? I don't need like what does Talmudic law say. I I need like what you know. How much gossip would this cause at the synagogue? That's oh, more what I'm yeah. looking for here. Does he get to keep oh, being okay. the rabbi once that information comes out? I don't know. I I I just I, I need someone who knows better than I. I just feel like you know if you're 
if you're the pastor of a congregation and you end up romantically involved with a buried woman, you're out, bud. Or you got to start a new congregation mm. or something. Like you got you're out of there. Like I feel like that's not going to be accepted. You kind of lose your legitimacy as a man of God if you start doing things like that. But also, I haven't been to church in 20 years. What the hell do I know? Okay, so moving on. <laughs> um, so Anita, she's looking for a divorce. Mel is writing, you know, he's writing threatening letters to the lawyers. He's threatening to kill her. It's it's all bad. And um, <clears throat> finally, on October 25th in 1990, um, Anita was unfortunately shot in the head while getting out of her car and in the accounting firm's parking lot. So, um, and there were three yeah. witnesses to this who claimed to have seen um, who, who killed her. Uh, the first was worked across the street. So the other side of Magnolia Boulevard, <laughs> presumably. <laughs> um, and that witness had seen Mel come out of the building before, before Anita arrived at work. Um, so, and it was like a side door or something. And so the door, it was just unusual to see someone come out of that door. Um, so yeah. then Mel goes back into the building. Anita's car passes by and she's being followed by a man on a motorcycle. Um, the next witness is up on a roof working nearby. Um, he sees Anita pull into her parking spot. Um, and then, uh, and then that witness sees the motorcyclist, uh, you know, he parks his bike on the wrong side of the street. And then this guy on the roof actually sees the cyclist walk up to Anita and, and kill her and then, and take off on his, uh, motorcycle. And then yeah. finally a third witness, uh, ha who had also seen the shooter, um, ha was able to help the police, um, put a composite sketch together because he, he, that was the only person who had seen the shooter's face without his helmet and visor on. So, um, they don't think obviously because of all this date, they, they don't think Mel was the person directly responsible for killing her. Um, but they do mm -hmm. think she was assassinated by whoever was on the motorcycle and, and that person had been hired by Mel. Yeah. Um, I guess she didn't die immediately. Uh, she was in oh, the hospital. Right. Cause she was in the hospital. <laughs> he comes over and sits down. It was like the who I can't remember who he was talking to, one of her friends or a family member. And he's like, mm -hmm. Hey, I've really lost a lot of weight on this liquid diet. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. He's like, I'm about to drop about 140 pounds right now, if you know what I mean. And then he like winks and leaves the room. It was really tacky. He shouldn't have done that. Uh, made him look really guilty. Oh, oh God. Uh, it took, it took me about, four or five seconds to realize you, you, you weren't like alluding to a massive like diarrhea explosion, but rather the weight of his wife being. Yeah, no, that's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. That's yeah, okay. the joke. <laughs> it, takes, uh, it takes me a moment. Okay. Yeah. So I like that uh, your mind I, goes I, to I, massive diarrhea explosion. <laughs> no. uh, that's, that's, that's what preoccupies my mind uh, often when we record these episodes. Mm. Um, what I found interesting was how how quickly we jumped in the the segment to like, well, he's uh, he's in prison now. Yep, <laughs> he went to jail. Yeah, I, I guess I guess going around saying stuff like, "I'm going to kill my wife." 
really really does most of the work for the prosecutors by that point right mm-hmm. um so i so i guess michelle samet the one who's basically been telling the story gets back in the story herself at this point um yeah. and uh was she interviewing him in prison or something yeah she was um she was visiting him in prison mm-hmm. um and, you know, like I, she she said that, like, at first she was like, well, I don't really know if he killed her or not. Or uh, and for the first f- several interviews. But then there was one where, like, he made her leave because he had another visitor. And the mm-hmm. other visitor is a guy who suspiciously looks just like the motorcycle dude. Mm-hmm. Um and like I guess before before sending her out, he was like, "Yeah, I got another visitor. This mm. guy's a homeowner because of me." And huh. so, well, that's not yeah, suspicious so, or anything. Yeah. Well, and then like yeah, she's sitting out in the parking lot, and she sees the guy get on a when he leaving the prison gets on a motorcycle just like mm-hmm. the one that was involved and drive away. Uh, she said she went in and was basically like, I think you sell, sold your, your coin collection and pay, you know, gave it to uh-huh. that guy to kill. And da, da, da. And, and he was like, if he, uh, he was, Mark was saying, started saying stuff to her. Like, you know, if you wake up dead, you, you'll know who it was, <laughs> which I mean, again, is sort of probably the sort of stuff that is the reason why Mark was so easily put away into prison. Right. Um, she described something that like I caught like right when I was watching it. Cause she said that like at first she was walking away and she was like, Oh, Mark is so boisterous and a blowhard. And he you says mean Mel? stuff. Oh, Mel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Did I say Mark? Sorry. He's, I think Mel you switched to is... Mark halfway through this. <laughs> oh God. I'm sorry. I thought I heard you say Mark. And then I, I became full of doubt. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> So, you know, Mel was a was boisterous and a blowhard and da da da. And then like when when she was saying this stuff in an interview, I was like, what are you talking about? Like you're mm-hmm. you're sounding like you're sounding like the abused victim now at this point. And then right then and there in the interview, she's like, and that's when I stopped myself and I was like, What are you talking about? You, you what are you talking about here, lady? You you're you're sounding just like yeah, uh, you know, the abused victim. That's what that's what she was saying about this guy before he had her killed. Mm-hmm. And, and she starts describing situations where, like, someone's like ramming down the gates of her, of her, uh, of where she lives. Um, they're like breaking the windows. I guess some guy randomly ran up and punched her in the face in her driveway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she does, she, she drops, she mentions that like, as soon as her book actually got published, mm-hmm. uh, it all stopped. So yeah. I guess the assumption is here, like Mel was just sort of like, he threw up his uh, arms in the air. I was like, well, she got published. So there's no point in trying to continue on with this harassment campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so are there uh, any updates? I feel like this was a cheat as an update. Because mm-hmm. it was like Mel Green's appeal was denied. Mm-hmm. And investigators believe Michelle's theory concerning the gunman has merit, and they are anxious for new leads about his identity. 
which yeah i mean that's that's what we were kind of left believing at the end of the original segment like Right. Emails in prison, but there's still this gunman. And so this update was basically a way of telling us that there were no updates. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this to you. Which mm-hmm. which would you prefer? Would you prefer mm-hmm. to see Mel in prison or the gunman? That's an interesting question. Probably Mel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Look, Mel's out $30,000 and or a coin collection, and he went to jail, so. <laughs> Loser. Um, And that, uh, that guy's just rolling around on his new motorcycle, and, you know, just went on with his life, I guess. The shooter. Yeah. yeah. I don't really like that either. No. And, like, no. how do you, how do you... Back in the day, I mean, now I feel like it would be pretty easy to like connect with an assassin. Yeah, <laughs> because of the we internet, got, we got the internet and the dark web too, and all. Yeah, all there's that the jazz. dark web. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, you, how do you do that? Do you just like hang out in a seedy part of town and start? That's what I always wondered or? about this stuff. Like, who are these guys? Because we've seen guys get hired on this show before to do killings. Mm-hmm. Like, where? Where are they finding them? Yeah, is there just uh, some just... bar in North Hollywood that's full of assassins for hire? Or... What's going I mean, on? I, I guess, I don't know, you probably start out in a bar looking, right? I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, you're not going to the unemployment office, or are you? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, well, I... And the thing is, is it seems like that approach would be fraught with peril if you're the guy trying to hire someone, because... Uh, Holy crap. I mean, you just go throwing that out there. I, I remember watching like some news segment or something where they showed a variety of guys trying to h- hire people to murder their wives. Um, mm-hmm. And and it turned these are situations where it turns out that they're in a sting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and it, it's pre- it's pretty gratifying to see the, the, the guys crying when they're arrested. <laughs> Um, but you know, you really roll your dice whenever you take your car into an auto place because maybe it's a reputable one, but mm-hmm. also maybe it's corrupt. Um, I don't know. I just feel like trying to hire an assassin is just, um, unless you're like a government that's like hiring a, like a yeah. true professional, but if you're just going out there tr- trying to find some guy who's going to do this job for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know. we've all we've all seen Fargo. Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of ways it can go wrong. Yes. Um, well, uh, you know, if we're ready, we're going to talk about a different kind of criminal for hire. It's another hometown, another hometown segment. If there was uh, some kind of uh, alert or something that Connor has for that, some kind of alarm, <laughs> something LA related, yeah, uh, maybe maybe the sound of a helicopter um, or a whoop whoop you hear- of a cop car. I don't know <laughs> what, would be, what would be LA related. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, or maybe like a Vin Scully Dodgers drop or something. <laughs> 
not sure uh, yeah. <laughs> what we could put in here. Anyway, uh, uh, Connor, work work on that, please. We're not insane, by the way. Our producer's name is Connor, and I feel like we just, like, summon him and we don't really explain who he is <laughs> to the people listening to this. this. This show actually does have a producer, and his name is um, his name is Connor. Thank you, Connor, for all the the hard work that you do in turning the show around. Um, so any, any polish that the show has is because of him, certainly, and his hard work, not because of us. <laughs> He's cleaned up many messes on my part. Um, yeah. So thank you, Connor. I just realized we don't really like credit him. And then also like I occasionally will just say like, hey, Connor, can you fix this? And then like we've never explained who he is. Maybe. <laughs> I suppose it would seem strange from the perspective of the people listening. Like maybe they just thought we were doing a bit. Good boy, Connor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're like, no, that's that's Robert and Crystal. They're probably they're talking about someone from grad school again. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I am vengeance. I am the night. I am Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. And I am immortal. Anyways, January 7th, 1992, massive pileup on I-5 in L.A. Uh, it was a semi-truck, hits a, hits a car. Uh, one of the passengers, Jose Perez, is killed. Um, and uh, police learn at that time that Jose Perez has been part of a massive in car insurance fraud ring. And um, yeah. so this is called the poop and squat Squat and poop, the swoop and squat and swoop, S swoop and squat <laughs> scheme. That's right. Um, so <laughs> there was like a lot of lingo in this segment. There's like a lot of like lingo. There's the squat car. There's the swoop car. There's the capper. There's the. <laughs> no, I really like feel like thing. if they had, had like. Yeah, I feel like they should have had like little titles on the different cars as they are driving. That would have helped me keep. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, well, I assume, straight. I assume, so this, so here's what the deal is. Okay. Um, here's, here's the fraud is that a couple of vehicles will basically box in a semi truck now or, or a freighter or something like that. The reason being, uh, twofold, um, freighters can't stop very quickly. And two, because they usually carry high levels of insurance. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, which is also interesting because Unsolved Mysteries introduces this as like, this could happen to you. And it <laughs> certainly is probably happened to people in passenger cars, but it actually seems like this scam is very targeted at truckers. So. Right. So, I mean, if you're a trucker watching Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Be, hold on. Woo. You know, but also Which, like, what is the truck supposed to do? If you're caught up in it, you're caught up in it. What are you going to do with that? Um, you know, I mean, like, just just slow and come to a complete halt on the busy freeway. I, 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 I guess it's well, I guess there's a reason why they do this operation and why they target these guys, because they they they. They got them, right? I mean, yeah. at that point, they got the squat car in front who's going to, like, get hit. 
They yeah. got the other car that's boxing them in. And then the swoop car comes along and cuts off the other two cars. So they, they're like, oh, the car cut, cut us off. That's yeah. why we had to slam on the brakes. I really right. liked in the reenactment um, when the squat car got in place, there were three people in it. And mm-hmm. like, I really felt like there was a difference between the two guys in the front seat who looked very cool and collected. Mm-hmm. And... um the guy in the back seat who obviously of course that's not as great a situation it feels like that's that wouldn't be as great as you'd be reasonably more nervous i mean you should be nervous you know regardless of where you are in this car but mm-hmm. like you see like the guy playing him in the reenactment is like look looking back at that truck and he looked like just like you know, like r- really um worried and reasonably mm-hmm. so and mm-hmm. i was uh Okay, okay, how do I put this? Um, as soon as that that thing in the reenactment happened, I immediately came to the conclusion that the guy in the back seat was like a day laborer that had been kidnapped almost into the situation. And uh, actually, Unsolved Mysteries kind of confirmed that that's the case. Um, because the guys who are typically being stuffed into these squat cars, which is the, the most dangerous of the task. Um, and of course, naturally the one that gets compensated the least out of the huge mm-hmm. insurance uh, are getting paid like two or $300. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so- it's, it's uh, so there's even a term for the people who go and recruit these day laborers. It's called the capper. <laughs> yeah and we get a reenactment <laughs> of the of the capper who later turns out to be uh, philemon santiago <laughs> yeah basically it's it's unscrupulous lawyers are organizing all of this and they get millions from from the insurance claims that are made on behalf of people who are you're only supposed to get like a soft tissue injury <laughs> And then go, and then you go to one of these ambulance chaser attorneys and they make the claim on your behalf. And then sometimes the attorneys will make millions because that's why they're targeting uh, trucking companies. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was really thinking about this and I was like, how is this being sold to the people in the squat car? For them to I, accept to do this, because basically what it, it is, is you're agreeing to get hit by a semi and right. <laughs> uh, that cannot be what they're telling these people to get them in the car. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the that's the conclusion I came to was like, I feel like um, in the reenactment, like the guy in the back seat, I feel like he was not entirely given you know the full 411 on no how this operation was going to work um you know like i mean in terms of how it's pitched to them it's like yeah uh you know we're gonna give you like four hundred dollars or something and you just go um we're, we're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be in a car we're gonna like and i yeah i don't know like I, I feel like because when they when they have the reenactment of the mm-hmm. capper trying to recruit, it does feel like I mean, they, they show him talking and 
a big chunk of the people present immediately turn away and walk walk off. Right. Um. Now maybe, I mean, maybe he's just sort of. He's not telling them that, like, we're going to stop your car right in front of a speeding a full speed semi. But mm-hmm. like, we're going to we're going to we're going to be in a car and we're going to have a little fender bender. And yeah, uh, I just I just I got to wonder what they're telling these guys, you know, because I don't think anyone in their right mind would agree to, you know, three hundred dollars possibly to lose your life or be permanently paralyzed you know i don't even like driving next to semis on the freeway (laughs) you know i'm like no uh, no no one get around (laughs) this thing um as an aside do you feel like there should be like separate roadways for passenger cars and separate roadways for semis i don't know how that would work but i really feel like we just shouldn't be on the road together (laughs) crystal i mean if i if i was emperor of of america Uh uh-huh uh, you know, uh, taking up the throne that was once occupied by Norton the first. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, th- there would be two significant um, things I would want in terms of automobile stuff. One would be that let's just let's just give the the semis their own road. I think mm-hmm. everyone's going to be happier in that arrangement. Like, I mean, yeah. it's not just us in the little cars are kind of scared of them. I'm I'm sure for like the semi drivers, it will actually be a lot. It would be better. Yeah, they wouldn't have to yeah, be aware like, of as many little cars and yeah, stuff. Because yeah. I'm sure it's absolutely nerve wracking, uh, right? For for them. Uh, so, and then my second decree would be to like let's try to get more 45 degree parking spaces because i am so rubbish with the 90 degree ones <laughs> i realize you can't be done everywhere uh you know spe- you know especially if you're like just a small corner shop you may, you may not even yeah. have really the proper space but i mean in, in, in larger parking areas let's try let's tr- let's try for it people let's try for it um i just i just feel like uh i, I just feel like i don't know so <laughs> You know, I think that's something that you would you would actually like about L.A. is we have a lot of 45 degree parking spaces because of limited space. Oh, nice. And those 90 degree ones just take up they take up too much room. You know, they take up a lot of room and it's just like it's so I feel like I I mean, when when I uh, God, when I park at. A number of places. I just like, well, I guess I'll park really far away so there's no other cars so I can actually mm. park into the space. Otherwise, I'm just going to look like an ass mm. pulling in and out, in and out. Uh, yeah. So it's the old squat and swoop. Yeah. Be on the lookout. It's coming yep. to a town near you. <laughs> yep. Oh, there's an update, right? They, they yeah. Got yeah. Them, right? The, they, they, they got them. They got. They got. Well, they got. They got some guys who were doing it. I yeah. uh, probably not um, all the guys, but they got some of the guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they only really got like the cappers, right? They didn't get the lawyers that were raking in millions. I they? thought they got. Um, wasn't Gary Miller like one of the? Oh, oh. Uh, let me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They got a bunch this of guys. They got all the guys. Yeah. They got the guys. Okay, they, they got, got them. the guys. <laughs> they Case got them. They closed. went to jail. 
Case closed. Let's talk about a family Bible here. I don't, this wasn't even like a segment. I felt like this was like a, a Bible <laughs> moment. It was like a little Bible moment oh, in the middle of this okay. episode because it was so short. Yes. And I felt like they spent more time at the beginning of the episode teasing the segment than the actual segment was long. <laughs> yeah, because at the very beginning of the episode, Robert Stack, I mean, he has the Bible and he like holds it up and is like, we got a whole segment about this. No, yeah, not really. but he has the Bible. Do you think that was the Bible in question? Well, I, I mean, I, I guess. Well, oh, um, okay. Do you think Unsolved Mystery Unsolved Mysteries made a a replica Bible? Yeah, a, I think it maybe it was Bible. a. I think it was maybe a stud Bible. Okay, and in the reenactments where Jonathan Jonathan Grady played himself, right? Yes. Um. So was was he was he using the prop Bible Bible the whole time? Jonathan Grady? And yeah, in the in the in the reenactments of, of no, him in I the think, store. No, I think I think maybe Jonathan Grady ha, ha, still has the Bible. Well, no, I mean, yeah, he has the the real Bible, but when they were doing the reenactments of him like buying it and then taking uh -huh. it out, was was that the real one or the prop? Well, we'll never know. Okay. All right, <laughs> then I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, our our our, our se the segment starts out like we're following a guy named Jonathan Grady, who's described as a Los Angeles area collector. Hey, this uh, is another LA. This is an all LA episode, basically. Damn, yeah, it's an. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize this dude was in LA. Okay, well, yeah. All right, go on. Um, unless I just imagined that. Uh, anyway. No, I'm looking at the wiki. This was an LA okay. episode, uh, segment, so. He finds a Bible. Yeah, well, and did you actually, did you notice in the, in the, because one of the stories in the mother's intuition, they showed mm -hmm. it, was, it was Los Angeles related. Yeah, so. Hmm. Um, yeah, like, I think Elaine, when she was driving back, like, they showed yeah. her going over. Uh, going over the hills in the L.A., the L.A. Um, yeah, I think she was coming back from Las Vegas or something. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. Or Palm Springs. No, it was Palm Springs. That's Palm what Springs. it was. And wow. no wonder her friend Sh Sharon was so, like, mom plus, like, you're going to buy me lunch. We're going to hang out in Palm Springs. And then, you know, you do anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So staying in L.A., I guess this was an L.A. themed episode. Hmm. Um, it wasn't Mother's Jonathan Day at all. Yeah, like they showed Jonathan Grady in like what, what, a, thr a thrift store or an antique store or something. Yeah. And like he he's looking at a box and he's looking at it because he's interested in those Bunsen burners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really have no idea what his care, what, what, what he, I mean, because they show him like at home. I don't feel like his home life, like the home that he's depicted living in screams writer academic or right. writer, you know, just writer. No, he's a, he's a book collector and writer. That's what he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess maybe he has a, maybe, maybe in his garage, he has a little chemistry setup. Maybe. Uh, I think maybe you're yeah. getting hung up on the wrong detail here with the Bunsen burners. 
I think he was in it for the Bible because it was cool looking, you know? I, okay. Uh, so I, I just feel like maybe he was playing his cards close to his chest when he's talking yeah. about the thing. Cause he, yeah. the way he describes it is like, he kind of mentions that the, like the Bible's kind of just secondary. It was like, it happened right. to be in the box. Cause he's like, oh yeah, you know, aside from those Bunsen burners, uh, there were some other things in there. There was like an oil can. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah. For 50, cause he talks the woman down from 75 to $50. Mm-hmm. And I guess we see just how much this woman just wanted this box out of the thing. So she, she agreed. And uh, in the reenactment, uh, they show him, he, he gets home and he takes the Bible out. Uh, and he's like, oh, you know, he's kind of looking through it. And uh, it's like, oh, well, I mean, the pages, they're kind of, they're, they're not, uh, they're all loose, basically. Mm. And I guess like he investigated and uh, it turned out that it would t- cost like two to three hundred dollars to get it all bound back up again. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why he was so. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess if he's a book guy, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, anyway, so he, he he was trying to write a novel or something mm-hmm. and he needed to look up a quote from Corinthians and. Uh, it was uh, the book of no, Job, Job, actually. Job, Job. Yeah, sorry. I don't know why I said Corinthians. Um, uh, Job, and uh, he so he gets breaks the book out from the garage, and he dumps it on his desk and blows off all the dust that accumulated on the book onto his desk. Seems like you should have just done that in the garage. Anyway. He opens it up and he comes across a section that he didn't notice the first time, which is it's like one of those family uh, tree sort of situations where they they keep track of the, you know, like this couple of married. They have these kids. They got married to these people. So forth. And our uh, our man, Jonathan, just wants to get this Bible back. He wants to give the Bible back. The Lazarus Bible. The Lazarus, because because it belonged to a uh, Charles Lazarus, and uh, when they said Lazarus, I was like, oh, uh, I thought they were making some allusion to the to to the Bible, but I was like, no, the guy's last name is Lazarus. How? That's pretty freaking cool, right? That is pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Jonathan. You know, he's just like. I mean, I guess you know, I could see it. Like you, know, you're looking and you like you have this entire family's like history and and stuff laid out. And you know, I I could. I feel like I'd be the same way. Like I wouldn't feel right throwing it the, the throwing it away. So I. But you know, I at the same time I probably just wanted out of my house so i'm just like mm-hmm. gotta find someone who you know is descended from this family so i can give it to them be like here you you have the um here's the history of your family um keep it safe and i don't think we had an update on this right so <laughs> um there uh, there is one in the wiki but it's not really that exciting oh and it's kind of the story of how the how the bible came to end up in the store in 1980 okay um but uh yeah it's unsolved (laughs) 
ostensibly. <laughs> um, yeah, this, I think we probably, we definitely spent more time talking about this than the actual segment was long. It was like, blink and you'll miss it. Uh, they get, they're getting shorter and shorter. Robbie, you know, it's not getting shorter and shorter as episodes of our podcast. And uh, <laughs> uh, no, they, they grow in length <laughs> every, every recording <laughs> session. We've certainly gotten letters. Um, uh, mostly positive. Yeah. We got a really nice letter recently from our, our man down under um, purple worm. Thank you for, for writing in. And in fact, if you recall in the last episode, uh, I had thought I had made up a holiday called Wombat Day. Apparently, that is real. <laughs> so, <laughs> not it's not like oh a day boy. off from work or anything like that. It's not a bank holiday, it, it, but it's, uh, it's like it's like how Arbor Day is in the U.S. Right? It's just, yeah. yeah. I, apparently, people celebrate uh, Wombat Day by eating wine wine gums or wine gummies. Hmm. I don't know what that is hmm, either, okay. but that's how it gets celebrated. Um, I'm assuming they're they're like you know it's like Jello shots only it's uh, wine and gummies. Right? I I suppose so. I don't know. I guess Purple Worm will have to write us another email to explain what the hell a wine gum is because I don't know what that is. Uh, or maybe you didn't email. Of, <laughs> dear producers have reenacted. Here are the following lists of horribly wrong conclusions you've made. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're making him sound like a pedant. I, I Purple Worm is definitely I, I know, not a pedant. He always gives I don't, us like the most I, interesting information. So no, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I, I know. I I only say that because I know he's such a cool dude. He, he, yeah. he, I'm sure he chuckled at it. Yeah, no, we 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 appreciate. <laughs> he actually, yeah, he actually has been the source of like just really neat like information regarding. Yeah. Action. Well, neither yeah. of us knew what a wonder was until uh, he wrote in. So he's our, our correspondent from Western Australia. Um, yeah. Anyway, if you want to correspond with us, uh, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can write to us, uh, reenactedpod at gmail.com. That's, that's how purple worm gets in touch. We love it. Uh, if you're more of a short form, um, Someone who wants to write in, you know, 200 characters or less, we're still on Twitter, still going uh, at Reenacted Pod. Um, yeah. There's some kind of Facebook presence. I'm very unclear on uh, what else. Oh, also, uh, yeah, if you want to help us keep the lights on and keep paying Connor, which, by the way, you are, if you are currently a Patreon of ours, you are doing those things. Thank you very much. Um, you can get on patreon.com slash reenacted pod. We have two tiers now. One of them is the $1 tier. If you just want to like give us a tip because you like what we're doing. Um, the other one is a $5 tier. And what that entitles you to is sometimes we put stuff on our Patreon feed. Um, I owe you guys an episode. I told Robbie I would <laughs> edit it. <laughs> and I will. <laughs> I will. I had completely forgotten about it and I will do that. So I owe you guys a, I owe you guys a very special episode. Thank you to the people who have been um, helping keep this podcast going. It means a lot and it is getting to a point where we're almost self-sustaining every month. So thank you so much for that. Hooray! So Robbie, I took your entire piece at the last, uh, last minute here. Um, so do you want to do the thing? Join me next week for another intriguing edition of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs>